concert the consulting club of nibm where we get the chance to interact directly with the leading and influential personalities in the world of management consulting and finance today we have with us miss aditi bhattacharya a financial risk management consultant at kpmg india Aditi Bhattacharya is an experienced financial analyst at Financial Risk Management, Quantitative and Qualitative Model Development and Implementation, engaged with financial product designing and development for domestic and international banks. She is skilled at IFRS, ICAP and VAR along with portfolio validation for equity products. She is also experienced at market risk, credit risk and enterprise risk management. She has been with KPMG now for almost 2 and a half years. We are extremely delighted to have you with us on this episode and are very grateful to you for agreeing to share your views on the career as a consultant in financial risk management despite of your busy schedule. Thank you so much Aditi. Before we begin our discussion on the topic, could you please tell us more about yourself and your journey? Thank you, Nidika, for uh, such a nice description and an introduction. Sure. Uh, to walk you through your very well uh, on the point that I've spent two and a half years with KPMG as a consultant, but uh, I did not begin as a consultant in my career. So just as you guys would be looking forward to your career uh, campus placements, I was also placed into Credit Suisse to begin with. So it was there with an investment bank in the back offices that I started my journey and I stayed there for about a year. And then the KPMG consulting business, it, it gave me an opportunity to move. So everybody has a, a little bit of uh, you know, a purview of what consulting would look like. And it's kind of a, the glamorous side of the financial world. So even I switched and I'm, I'm very happy that I did because uh, I think everybody suited for a certain kind of a career. And every, everything that was uh, looking exciting on the outside is actually was on the inside too. So I've spent two and a half years here. And in these two, two and a half years, I've uh, spent uh, quite a few years doing a lot more other projects than uh, a regular investment bank or let's say a regular management consulting would give you. So uh, here I've done a lot more, uh, let's say regulatory requirement implementation. So such as Basel implementation, I'm on one day I'm doing on Basel two, the other day I'm doing it on Basel four. Someday I'm, I'm specializing in IFRS. The others, I am doing it on operational risk, market risk. So it's equally exciting. It will always keep you on the toes. So that's exactly how my journey has been here. So that's a little bit about me. And uh, I, I think you already have given my background, but just to give a little more detail to it, I am a, a finance major from IFMR and uh, an economics graduate from Pune University. First question? Sure, sure. Go ahead. Ma'am, actually, what is a career in FRM consulting really like? Is it enjoyable and satisfying? Uh, it actually completely depends on what kind of satisfaction are you looking for. There's a lot of monetary satisfaction that people initially look for. Of course, uh, any consulting career is very rewarding financially, but it takes a time. There's just like a learning curve, there's also a growth curve. So uh, do not be shy of uh, whether you should go for the consulting career if the starting point is not so attractive, because trust me, in just about two, two and a half years, you will be rewarded very handsomely and your counterparts in the industry won't be. And the simplest logic being that it is a profit center. You'll be facing a client and you'll be bringing money home. So of course, there'll be a share for you. There'll always be a big cut of pie in for you. That is not possible for anybody working in a back office for a you huge investment bank. So it's, it's just the difference between a profit center and a cost center. So do not get discouraged in the initial uh, initial part of your career. Let's say initial one year. That's all you have to wait. But uh, otherwise, yes, financially, it's very rewarding. If you're looking at intellectual satisfaction, it definitely is. Because uh, before we enter, we hear this term BAU a lot that, that the industry follows. Of course, you need to specialize in a little bit of uh, everything that you do. So you'll have to do a lot of repetitive works. You'll have to do a lot more repetitive projects and it's, it's true for industry as well as consulting. There's no doubt for that. But at the same time, uh, there'll be new challenges. So every six months, every one year, you will be doing a new project in, uh, let's say in a consulting career, whereas with the industry, you'll be specializing in one thing over and over. So it's linear, but you'll do a lot more things in a lot more depth. Whereas with consulting, you will be doing a lot of things in, in much shallower grounds, 
meaning to say that not that you won't be going into depths. You'll be doing a lot of quantitative model development. You'll be doing a lot more analysis, a lot of validation for which you need to have your knowledge uh, very up and clear. There's no doubt to that. But at the same time, you'll be handling four projects together. So that requires a lot of intellectual capacity to comprehend what is happening around you continuously and stay updated. So it's intellectually, absolutely, it's very satisfying. Third kind of satisfaction that you're looking at, whether the kind of growth that you're making, it's not about the remuneration, it's not about the project, but the career progression that you're making. If that's, uh, if you want to fast track progression, absolutely consulting is for you because uh, just taking it out of my, my own experience, I've been promoted to an assistant manager and I've only been like three and a half years in the industry. That's equivalent to an AVP in the industry. Now, this is a kind of progression that you will only see and it's only possible in consulting. And uh, for the very basic reason, you're facing a client. You need to have a uh, title that will be seriously taken in the, uh, you know, in the, in the client facing job. Plus, it's very rewarding based on how you perform. So every benefit, every compensation, every bonus is linked to your benefit. Sorry, it's linked to your performance. You perform, it's right there for you. So there's absolutely, there's absolute transparency in this uh, consulting, whereas with a backend office, there's a lot more policies involved. So do not uh, don't take it in the negative sense that maybe you will not be able to jump career so swiftly. No, an AVP in investment bank is a huge deal. You'll keep jumping from, let's say, Credit Suisse to JP Morgan to Goldman Sachs, and a lot more people go for those brand names because at the end of the day, you'll be specializing in one thing that attracts you the most. But a media promotion is possible with the consulting. That just happened. If you look at LinkedIn, a lot more KPMG folks will be posting out on LinkedIn saying that they've been all media promoted. That's an edge that you'll always have over the industry. This is impulsive growth, progression, growth, and the aggressive progression growth is much more visible in consulting rather than a, a, a finance industry job. So in all these three aspects, I think I found satisfaction here, but again, it completely depends on what kind of satisfaction you're looking at. So yes, for me, it feels like if you ask for my personal opinion, I would say that yes, a career in all the three factors has been very rewarding, but you need to give yourself that gestation period for it to bloom. Thank you, ma'am. Next question, ma'am. Uh, what is actually your work as an FRM consultant and how it is different from the normal business consultancy? All right. So, uh, Nivika, just to give you a clear hierarchy or an idea about how the tree works, I work in an advisory capacity. So, uh, just to talk about the big four uh, structure of the uh, how they go about it. So, obviously, you'll be aware about the tax and audit, uh, audit work that they perform but that's a different way. So where I'm uh, currently working is a big four audit firm. It's not a big four consulting firm. So you'll first have to demarcate what kind of a firm you're working for. Based on the hierarchy, then you will have a lot more different consulting for different advisory wings. So we have deal advisory that extensively deals with a lot of mergers and acquisition. Then you would have something called a management consulting where the team uh, deals with the leadership and they would give them advice on, and it is based on, uh, it's a combination of strategy as well as operations in management consulting and a lot more other thing that goes on. I'm not very well aware of what happens in the day-to-day -day life, but management consulting is, again, it has to do a lot more interacting with your leadership teams. Then comes your IGH, that's the government advisory team that caters to only government projects. And then there's a risk advisory. It's an umbrella term that we continuously use. Inside that, you'll have a lot more things to do. So you'll have a digital team, you will have a compliance team, you will have a financial risk management team where I work, you'll have a forensic team. So everything and anything under the sun that has to do with managing the risk of any institution, not just banks, will be placed on the risk advisory. So when you talk about business management, business management, it could be any place but it depends on what need are you catering to. Okay, so to talk about the risk advisory way, now your forensic IT, um, and uh, I think the third one which I spoke about was uh, compliance. Now these three are very clear in what they do. They have IT will be catering to your cyber risk, they'll be catering to your digital needs, your digitization, uh, given as in when we're moving on your MIA, uh, sorry, AIML uh, kind of projects, they'll be looking at those. Compliance is very strict. They will have to look at what kind of risk are you taking on by not complying. And there are a lot of regulatory requirements that come in that you will have to comply. So that's a huge team 
that's actually bigger than FRM. FRM is very niche currently in KPMG. And uh, yeah, so if I talk about now very niche about FRM, FRM as a name suggests it's financial risk management. Rightly, uh, currently in your college, you would now uh, think about whether you want to appear for FRM paper or a, uh, or a CA paper or a CA. So you're already aware what the term is. Now to give you an insight of what my work would be, honestly, it can be anything that you can categorize into credit risk, market risk or operational risk or enterprise risk. So uh, let's say if anything that involves if, if today a bank comes out with a circular, like my area of uh, specialization today stands with Vietnam. I've been extensively and very, from the very beginning, I've been working with Vietnam. So Vietnam is a little bit, uh, you know, uh, it's, it's, there's a little bit of lag in uh, what the other developed nations comply with. So whereas let's say if Dubai and USA, they're looking at complying with Basel IV, the South Asian countries were a little slow. We look at right now, uh, just in 2021 uh, January, Vietnam complied with Basel II. So that's how slow or the lag between these two developed and the developing countries is. So we sitting in India where we are like, we were much advanced. We have already complied with Basel III. It's not a regulatory requirement to comply by this date. We are be, we're coming there, but at the same time, a lot more banks are now complying to it. So we already have an idea about what has to be done. Now, in, in my FRM uh, journey, this is this is the most important thing to do. You have to be aware about what the international circular is that requires a lot more regular studying of these circulars, a lot more updates, keeping up with what the other geographies are doing. And then uh, every country has their own adaptation. So I'm not going to pick up a Basel II circular directly from your B, uh, B, uh, the baselorg.com. Uh, I'm so sorry, I forgot what the name is, but I would have given you the exact address. But uh, yeah, you don't directly pick up the circular from there. Instead, what you do is you would rather see what the uh, country specific or SBV or State Bank of Vietnam would come out with its own uh, adaptation. That's called Circular 41. So you go back, you take a look at it, you see what is the compliance that they require from you. And through that, you will eventually start uh, building models. Now, again, within the team, there are separate team uh, teammates who are assigned each kind of work. So there's a lot of documentation or policy documentation that goes in. So some of the banks, they just come out with uh, come out with a requirement saying that we will give you, we'll give you a team that will model. All you have to do is give us a policy. So consulting can involve only uh, policy consult, uh, consultation. I, uh, on a day-to-day -day basis, I build a lot of quantitative models. So which means that if I have a circular, I need to convert it into uh, a platform or into a sophisticated solution, which the bank can directly use. They can put in their numbers and they'll have a results and they'll generate the report and they'll submit it. Now they can trust us because these are SBV compliant. When I say it's compliant, that means they're uh, very aware that a consulting like KPMG is doing it and it's been doing it for a lot of other firms. So the report in a format is acceptable. The method is acceptable. On the other side of it, some days I'm also working on, let's say, market risk and operational risk. Now that depends on what kind of project comes in. So nobody prepares you for it. So every time a project comes in, you will have to sit down, you'll have to find out what kind of regulation it requires a lot of research, but also you would have done that in some other geography. So within to survive in this business and it will win the team because you're working for a global firm. One of them have to have done to in, in implementation of this uh, kind of a project in some of the in some of the other geographies we just need to reach out to them you'll see what kind of models they're building so model build, building is my my job there's another side to it that's validation so when i say model development i believe that uh, if you're not aware I'll, I'll expand it a little bit but uh, if you're aware i won't go too much into the details you want me to go into the detail yes ma'am you can go Sure. <laughs> All right. So model development actually starts with, uh, so it would look very fancy in the beginning that model development has to be like, oh, I'm sitting down on the Python platform. I'm, I'm doing a lot of coding. A lot more people are very averse. When I started off my career, I was very averse to coding because I don't come from a coding background at all. So, but uh, just to break the myth here, uh, I code in VBA. 
when I say that out loud, a lot more people wouldn't take that very seriously. And I'll tell you why, because it's a first generation language. But honestly, the region I cater to, it never, up until now, they did not have a requirement for Python because they're like, we don't understand it. We don't understand it. So whatever you're giving it to us, I'll have to rely on your word. Why should I do that? Fine, I'm giving you money or a big four consultancy, but give me a word. Why should I do that? So they want something that they can understand. So with consultancy, there's another cautious thing that you'll have to do is you will have to completely look at what your client is asking you for. So if your client says that I want a model that I can understand, I can see, I can take a look at, and I can understand what your calculations are doing for me. Tomorrow, I don't have to come back to you. Every six months, I don't have to come, come to you for your servicing. So I got a pocket to develop my skill and I did. So nobody was taking up VBA. I took up the opportunity. I'm like, let me learn how to code. And I did. I built up the models. And that's how we enter different markets. You want to enter a market? That's a huge thing. Like with, with uh, assistant manager and manager, you will have to enter the sales. Sales as in you'll have to go and pitch your products. You'll have to get more business. So how do you do that? To understand what your clients, you know, clients want. And this is what the clients wanted. So we started developing a region. And today it's, it's a huge base for us to begin with. And from here, we're trying to work more places. So your quantitative development will always not mean that you're jumping into AI, ML kind of a deep stuff. Sometimes it will always, like sometimes it can just mean that it's, it's the smallest thing that they want. They cannot do it by themselves. They're coming to you. It could also mean that you're just automating their processes. But in that, what you're learning is you understand how the model works. Like when I write proudly that I'm an IFRS 9 uh, no, advisor, you wouldn't find a lot more series in the market saying that. Because every time an IFRS 9 compliance comes in, it's very complicated. How do you calculate a PD and LGD and EAD? How do you tell the bank that these are going to be your expected credit losses? So whenever you tell somebody that you're going to incur so much losses, first you hear is why will I incur so much losses? I already have my provisions in place. I already have my policies in place. So to understand what your geography requires, you will have to give them a product. Now for me, that is very exciting. I get to learn end to end everything about what the circular demands. I, I understand what the data says. I can sometimes I also work as a data specialist for my team, which means I'm looking at data. I can make sense out of it. and I can do it much quickly than anybody else would because I'm looking at the raw data. I'm working all of it on a very niche platform. So do not be afraid of jumping into quantitative modeling thing. I am not a quant specialist. I don't know coding. A lot more people will make a lot more success just by you know, being the hard worker in the team saying that, okay, nobody want to take it up. Let me do it. I'll take this up and I'll build a model. And you know what? This works for consultancy. Your hard work and your perseverance, it does work. And in the end, uh, there's another myth around it that you cannot progress without FRM. Of course, there's a certain level of truth to it. Without you, you have to showcase that your team is well built. It has, uh, you know, it has done a certification. There's an international stamp saying that you're qualified to handle these projects. But right now, when you're entering the market, that's required. Once you're into the system and you learn how the workings are, if you understand the concepts of finance and FRM, I think you'll be good. There's, there's nobody stopping you from not taking up a career in FRM without the certification. Of course, there'll be demand. Because again, you are a product that goes in front of your client. So your product should be top branded. So that's a branding that you would require. That's an assurance that you give to your client that I'm adequately educated to handle your project. But I think after you build your own branding inside a team, when you've worked with so many clients, they understand who you are. They understand your cap capacities and capabilities of handling it. I think there's no stopping you. So that's another method I wanted to break here. And uh, that's quantitative modeling. And the third side of it is model validation. Now, model validation happens uh, uh, on a very big scope in every big four. It's basically their model developed by these big banks. All you have to do is you have to go there, you have to access their systems, and then you have to validate. Now, validation also requires you to be at the top of your game. You cannot validate something you don't understand. So even though you're not building it from the scratch, so you don't have to code, of course, that's true. But at the same time, if you don't know how this is calculated, you'll never be able to pinpoint that this is going, this is where you're going wrong. And maybe this is where you have to make your changes. And uh, just a word of caution, validation is much tougher than quantitative development is. Of course, there's a different kind of skill sets that's required, but uh, 
you are a consultant. So when somebody comes to you in consultancy, they believe that you're an expert in what you're doing. If you do not show that you're an expert in validation, that that comes out very beautifully. So you'll have to be absolutely cautious. You'll have to be very knowledgeable, extremely intellectually challenging that job is. And at the same time, this is where most of your traveling opportunities come up. So you have to be at a client's place because you'll be validating a client's models. So there's a lot of uh, you know, confidentiality that's involved. So you will see a lot more people hopping around. Like today, I'm like, let's say if I'm currently based on Maharashtra, tomorrow my work is in Bangalore. The day after moving to Delhi, it's because I'm validating models that has to be absolutely done on their systems. And a lot of travel comes from here. So yeah, these are the two sides. Okay. Thank you so much, ma'am, for clearing our doubt about the FRM certification because we are also have the thought that we have to do FRM. Okay, uh, moving on to next question. When you work with different companies belonging to various sectors, uh, like what are your strategies and how do you manage to cope with it? Is there any standard procedure followed? Uh, Nivika, there is no standard uh, standard procedure followed exactly because uh, as I said, on a, on a Monday morning, you will be dealing with credit risk and by the end of Tuesday, you would have to look at, let's say, a market risk. That's, that doesn't happen very often, but uh, it does happen. What can happen is for, you've already serviced four clients and they come back with repetitive query in the middle of you trying to build another project. So you are in a mindset where you have to handle four things there's no scope of a mistake because most of the times you will have a very small team. You'll, you'll, be, uh, you'll be a consultant and you'll be looking at a manager who's also a project manager or you'll be directly reporting to an AD who's trying to bring in more clients. So uh, for two and a half years that I worked in a project, uh, I did not really have a colleague or a lateral colleague uh, to be very specific about it to depend on. It was just me and, and my performance manager or my project manager that we were working together and the roles were very much defined. And we were doing continuously, even today we do, we do like Monday, we have to we have to get back to this client, Tuesday we are working on another client, we, you know, Wednesday we are working on a different project. So it's such a simultaneous game than a sequential one that you'll always have to be aware that what you are doing and which for which client are you doing it. So there's no one particular strategy, but the best thing that even like I, I said this earlier as well, that be very good at networking. If you do not know something, that's absolutely all right. But not reaching out to someone who's already done it in, in let's say in this geography or some other geography, it's a very time, uh, it's, it'll shorten your timeline by let's say several lengths. So if I have to do something on my own, it will take me five days. I reach out to someone, they have another kind of model ready or they have another kind of logic ready of what they have implemented in a, in a particular geography. They just come back to me saying, hey, listen, I have to, I've done this. Can you look at your country's uh, specification and see if you can tweak this out? So that advice, that consulting that happens within the consulting team, that's very important. So I think that helps. On the second hand, I think not, not getting uh, too overwhelmed when, when four kind of works come, comes in. So uh, that's another, I think, uh, technique that we have to adapt. If nobody teaches you that, I came from the industry background, so I was not used to handling four projects. So they did not throw me into it directly. I was built into the system. I was built into this mindset. So I guess there's this uh, on the outside, whereas it looks a lot more glamorous. That's just what you see. But at the same time, there's a lot of hard work that goes throughout the day. And we actually have a joke. I, I don't think I should say it out loud, but uh, it's like, it's very flexible to work in the consulting. You, we, we don't stop you from working on a Saturdays and Sundays. So, yeah, because it's, it's demanding, it's rewarding. So you will have to also give something in return, but I'm telling you, it's not frustrating. It's anything but frustrating because you'll be doing what you love. So. So ma'am, how is the work-life balance in KPMG as an FRM consultant? What are your views on prevailing imposter syndrome in consultancy? All right, prevailing imposter syndrome, that's actually a very, very deep uh, question. <laughs> I don't know if... Uh, so you will always have that syndrome. I, I don't know how to tell you not to have it because you see the kind of competition that goes around you. You cannot there's always someone better always and it doesn't honestly it doesn't uh, depend upon how many how many progressions how many promotions how many uh, you know uh, 
quick progressions they have made but even the person sitting right next to you will bring in something so important that you'll start feeling that i'm inadequate you will eventually develop this syndrome and you will have to find a way that that helps you get over it because it's fierce it's not like this week there's no competition tomorrow no no the next week there is it's always there you're not just performing for the last six months for your review you're performing for your client again it's a client facing role you cannot move away from it you cannot put curtains to it so this syndrome i don't know how do you get rid of it it's gonna be there you will have a certain period of time when you develop this but it again depends on how you handle it i have no particular advice on how to deal with it uh what was the second question the first one rather yeah yeah work-life balance in kpmg as an frm consultant as i just said we we uh, adapt to a very flexible work-life balance we open our laptops on sundays and saturdays and nobody stops us from doing it but at the same time uh it's also fun so you would have heard a consultant always say that you know we work hard and we party harder and that's absolutely true every time that you see that you're having a very extensive week they will take you out on friday for let's say dinner every year they will have uh, an uh, an offsite which means that all expenses paid except for i think the flights the the entire team goes out and i think in 2009 before the covid we went to goa and we uh, nicely spend like a weekend uh, with the entire team and that's important because in consulting you don't really know who is in your team it started of when i worked in it was uh, a team of 110 members and today it's grown to like more than 200 So I have absolutely no idea. People who have left, people who have come in, you don't get a lot of time. Uh, so I think Oxide is a brilliant place where you can meet everyone in, and it's chill. And consultants knows how to party, so you don't have to worry about that. Third, it's very rewarding in the sense that, as I said, you will have a lot more travel opportunities. So if you want to be sad, why not be sad in an international geography, right? So it works out well for that too. and at the same time honestly being in an asian market you will have to work there is no substitute to that you can say that work life balance let me find a 9 to 5 job i'm sorry there's no 9 to 5 job in the market you will not find one so a minimum hour that you are allowed to charge is 40 hours uh, a week that makes it 8 hours but the government has now even mandated making it 9 hours every day at the same time you know that you cannot stop at 9 you will take breaks according to your needs but Uh, the work will stretch you're not accountable to your team you're accountable to your client again it's it's very transparent it's not a bau there's no scope for faltering if you falter you're taking this product out in the market now imagine your samsung comes out with a new phone and then they call back and say that oops our associate made a mistake can you please return that and we'll fix it and give it back to you that's for the company reputation right so think of your product going out similar to that of an apple or a samsung mobile phone it cannot have mistakes so that that gives you that sense of accomplishment knowing that people are using it at the same time it also brings in a lot more accountability and ownership and with that ownership and accountability you will even wake up for a 6 o'clock meeting you will also stretch it at 12 and the next day nicely you will tell your manager that i am taking an off and he will be like fine you've earned it so i think that's the work life balance you will always have here what are the bright and dark side about the frm consultancy and what do you think are the bi- biggest misconceptions around frm consulting uh let me start with the bright side so as i said the brightest of it all one thing that you want from a career is reward in return of the work that you put in so that's the brightest uh, i think uh, it's it's the most rewarding career that i have found myself you can always go back to an investment banker and ask him and he likes the adrenaline rush that goes on Fine. So that works for him. For me, the advantage I go on is very different. I'm not making money. I'm making products. So for me, it has been very, very rewarding. But define what rewarding is for yourself. Do not depend on my definition or somebody else's. Before walking out of your campus, make sure that you're clear in your mind what do you want. Because if you get inside a uh, inside a job which you think will be rewarding because it looks glamorous, uh, then within one year you'll feel that itch to switch. So if you want to stay with the firm, you want to make the best of it, and uh, honestly, organic development in a firm is much more rewarding than a than a lateral movement. Somebody who would have started as an analyst or an associate consultant within KPMG would have progressed to consultant within one year, 
and an AM within two and a half years of their starting journey. I actually missed that one year of opportunity of moving into uh, an AM position. That's like the fastest or the most fast track progression you could have made. So there's a lot of uh, fad in the market that keep jumping and you'll get that, you'll get there. You don't have to get there. You'll organically get there. But make sure you define what your success parameters are. Very important. Uh, again, the other bright side is, uh, as I said, I, I love traveling. So I got an opportunity to go to Vietnam in 2019 and I had several more lined up to go to a lot more other places, but because of COVID, we could not. But I don't uh, say I regret that because today all my morning to night calls are happening either with one or the other uh, no, Asia, uh, South Asian country teams. So I'm kind of building a network and it's really fun. It doesn't have to be that I have to be in a geography to enjoy the geography. I'm equally enjoying the international network that I'm building in. So that's another bright side for me. And uh, third is I'm very much aware of what is happening in my journal. So I may not be very much aware of what is happening, let's say management consulting, or I'm not aware of what is happening, what is the new products coming in in digital. But let's say I know what circulars are coming in. I understand finance, I majored in finance. So for me, that, that's the kind of kick that I find in the projects that I do. So again, it's, it's very intellectually stimulating. You can't just go and say that I have this, let me just make anything or give you any kind of advice. It was a lot of research in the background, a lot more, let's say, a statistical modeling that goes on. So that gives me the kick. You'll have to find it for yourself. So for me, that goes with the bright sides. Uh, on, on, let's say these were the pros and let me go on the cons now. Work-life balance is difficult. I'm not saying it's, it's unattainable, it's difficult. You will not find a work-life balance on the same day, but eventually through the year, if you see, you will find it. Because uh, it's even though it has a hierarchy, consulting has a hierarchy, it's very informal. So the first thing I started is by telling you, do not call me ma'am, because in, in our business, we don't call each other ma'am or sir. Uh, we, we go on first name basis or last name basis. Uh, because when you go, again, because you're front-facing, you cannot have a superior or you cannot have an inferior or uh, you know that kind of a team. You will have to treat everyone equally because you're specialists. Even an analyst who comes in, they bring you in because you have some kind of speciality. So only and a hierarchy is something that the company has to follow. You don't have to follow. So even with the partners here, we, we go on first name basis. They're they're pretty chill guys. They're like, uh, you know, when they're in the office, the office actually uh, is much more fun because, of course, they take the liberty of uh, introducing the fun factor in the in the team. But at the same time, none of us would go like with a sir or a ma'am. And if they, if you do, they will like pinpoint it like ten times in a conversation because they don't want you to have that hierarchy in your mind because the client that you will be facing is much more senior. You'll be sitting in the same table as a C or a CO. You cannot have that shyness where you can, uh, you know, where you feel like, oh, because this person is so much higher, higher on the hierarchy, I, I will feel a little inferior. I cannot have that answer to the question that he's asking. So if you are prepared, give the answer. If he's satisfied, okay. If he's not, you tell him that we'll get back to you later and then you come up with a solution. So, yeah. So there's no hierarchy, I think. Uh, but sometimes it also hinders because, uh, when you look up into a hierarchy, you see a ladder that you want to climb. Now, because even though it's only on paper, uh, when you're trying to climb, sometimes you miss a step. So let's say uh, there are n number of years that you will have to get, uh, you know, complete before moving on to the next one. And if there, if there's someone much senior to you uh, chronologically, they might get a little bit of preference. But that. I've never seen that happen in KPMG, but I've only spent a minuscule time. Like two and a half years is a very small time to spend. So I'm still yet to discover if that is going to be a hindrance in my career or not, but that could be one of the cons uh, that you might have to face. Okay. Uh, my next question was, what do you think are the biggest misconceptions around FRM consulting? Uh, yeah, so I think the biggest one is that you'll have to get a certification to enter. It's not a requirement to enter. You can still sit down for your campus placements and they will look at your own profile uh, before, you know, uh, before they reject you. 
but uh, you will have to be very cautious. So let's say if they ask you that the, it's a client's demand that you complete your FRM certification, you will have to do that. So that actually comes because some of the clients, they'll have to show that why have they chosen you over any other big four consultancies. And sometimes that just means saying that my team is more, ex, uh, you know, my team has more experience and is intellectually more uh, superior than the other big four team is. So in those cases, the demand actually comes from the client in which you cannot bias. On the third scale is an FRM consultant is, uh, I don't know if, if it's true or not, but in some places they might be paid a little more than non-FRM, uh, sorry, non-FRM consultant. So that's again, uh, I think a bit of a, it has a bit of a truth. But I don't know what is the kind of difference that would make you actually go up and do the certification. Because I understand the certificate is very costly. A lot more students will be hesitant to do it because it's it's also tough. So investing that much of money and not clearing it is always a doubt that a lot of students have. Because I saw that happening to uh, a lot more juniors in my college. But uh, to enter, you wouldn't need it. So my advice would be if you want, if you're absolutely sure this is where you want to make your career in, go for the certification. It's rewarding. No doubt the kind of knowledge that you get through it is much more practical than what you learn in your in your college right now. And uh, yeah, so that's always encouraged. But if you're not sure that FRM consultancy is for you, my advice would be step into the job, do it for a year, ask, ask people around that what kind of a career that they are having, and then, then see if you want to do it. You can always get in and tell them that I'm doing an FRM certification and they're very supportive. They'll give you time if you spend like close to a year. I think there's a little bit of compensation that comes in from the uh, office as well. So let's say if you excuse me, if you've cleared the certification, I think they'll pay you back for uh, for the entire exam fee or the registration fee. And but you'll have to spend close to a year about uh, in the firm. So whichever way works for you, I think that's the biggest myth that you need that for entry. That's not true. So what kind of technical and analytical skills are required uh, for an FRM consultant? Uh, analytical skills in particular, if you, if you want me to put down a list, it would be like uh, no coding, no data analytics and all those stuff. But I think the simplest tip that I would give is have an analytical uh, brain. That's it. Develop that. Anything that you're looking at, no, uh, judge it analytically, be it be the data in front of you, your data could be like, let's say anywhere between uh, 50 row of data to uh, a three lakh kind of a data. So have an analytical brain. So you're looking at something, it doesn't make sense. You're looking at a circular, you don't know how to approach it. Have that analytical lookout so that you know that this is what I want to do. This is how I would build it. This is the way that my data makes sense or it doesn't make sense. Because a lot of things that happens in FRM is all database. You can't ignore that. You're basically dealing with an entire, uh, I wouldn't go about saying that it's a big data, it's not that huge, but for somebody, some of you may not come from engineering or uh, software engineering backgrounds. For you, it, it might just be overwhelming. It was for me. So you can definitely uh, look at that. If you want to go for a specific skill set, there are a lot of courses on data analytics that happen. The, uh, those can be very helpful, but make sure you pick up the right place to do it. Today, every alternative institute will come out with a data analytics uh, course. I would advise do your research before you go for them because again, it's an education. You will find a huge difference or a huge lag between what you're taught in the classroom and what you're going to actually do when you jump into your job. So at least when you're, you're trying to pick up your analytics course, be very cautious. And uh, if there's one language that I would advise you to do is uh, learn either R or Python. Because now we're slowly moving into the uh, digitalization or automation of solutions that we already have in the market. But what people now want is something that's much more accurate and that's much more faster. So faster processing cannot happen in the VBA. So even I'm trying to now learn these uh, because I see that there's a demand in the market, but you guys are, you have time before you jump in. So if you want to do a course, do it in data analytics, and I think the, uh, it automatically happens in Python. SAS is another popular, uh, I think, uh, platform in which uh, there's a lot of requirement that comes in. 
But the problem with SaaS is it's it's very niche. It's very customized. So if you know coding in SaaS, for you to translate that into Python will be difficult. But if you know coding in either Python or R, it's a third generation language. So it develops your analytical skills because to code you will have to have that understanding. What are you trying to build? It's it's it develops your logical reasoning, your understanding, and your uh, basically it's like. In your mind, you get it like I have to achieve to this solution. So you have I have to go through A, B, C, D, E. Let me go through that, and then uh, finally you will have a, a a final product that works in the same sequence as you want to. I think with Python, it's a little more easier as well as complicated. It actually goes both way. But with Python, you will not have to deal with all those nonsense of uh, the first generation language that it falters, or you'll have to make a lot more definitions. That doesn't happen. But with Python, it's a black box. all you can see is at the end you will have to give that solution so you as a coder or you as a data analyst should be absolutely clear what you try to do what you try to build so if you do not have that skill i think learning one language will give you that edge and of course there's always demand for python in our in the market okay ma'am as you know we uh, we are having risk management uh, as our main here so uh, we are also matlab we are also learning basic uh, python here python and our language in our upcoming pi semester so yeah we are also thinking of going into deep into it because we have, i basically i am a commerce graduate and i am also having that terror of uh, coding that i don't know anything about it so yeah that's the scene thank you so much that will stay nevika there's a so there'll always be a coder who will have an edge that's what i was trying to tell you even earlier you will they will always be a, someone who will have an edge now that's not your forte your python will only support your career to the to consider it as a hygiene factor if it's not that it's a problem having it for you in your cv will not make a huge difference because there'll always be someone who's better than you because they've been doing it a software engineer has been doing it for a very long time you cannot compete with those now you from a commerce background where do you get the edge you de- develop it on a on a functional side you cannot become a technical expert right when you get into it so it will take you like one year two year to understand what kind of coding you're going to do what kind of models you're going to build and only then you will become a technical expert but for the initial one two years your complete focus should be to become the functional expert be so good at the subject that you're catering to that nobody can question you there and it will not come from just reading books so i think uh, with this podcast if you want to really take that one thing home take it that look at what kind of projects that the other consultants are doing so in my cv you can see that ifrs 9 and basel 4 are something that's happening right now if you're going to graduate in the next 6 months i would suggest like go back read the circular that uh, rbi has read the circular that dubai has come out with okay so you see what kind of it's a huge circular it's overwhelming it it has all those kind of details that right now will not make sense to you that's okay read it because when you go tomorrow and you're having a discussion with a client like let's say if you decide to jump into frm and you're having this discussion with a client you will suddenly remember there was something so uh, you know delicately placed at the bottom of the sheet that nobody else would remember and these are the small details that will make you a functional expert so don't try to compete in the grounds that you cannot pick your battles so it's so competitive you cannot win Thank you so much, ma'am. Uh, now the final question: What advice will you give to students like us who want to pursue a career as an FRM consultant? Uh, as a consultant, be prepared for a very challenging uh, time. The first year is going to be a roller coaster, but you're going to enjoy it. And uh, advice would be: be a little more aware what's happening in the market, because. Uh, i am not very old okay i just graduated my from my college 3 and a half years i saw a huge change from what i was taught in the classroom to this and this will happen no matter which college you go to which campus you come out of you will see a lag because they cannot teach you what's exactly happening they cannot sit down and tell you that this is the kind of model development that's happening you will learn python you will learn about the derivatives you will learn a little more about bfsis but when you come to come to an office to service you will have a lot more things coming all together at you so speak to a lot more people understand the kind of work that they're doing and do not look at jd and say that this looks glamorous so let me go for it once you have changed two three jobs you will understand that the jd 
will give you just an umbrella feeling of this is the kind of thing that the team does. It does not tell you that, at least in consultancy, it cannot tell you that this is what you're going to do. When you, when you look at my JD or my description, it says that I do uh, know a lot of IFRS, Basel, uh, enterprise, uh, enterprise risk management, but it does not tell you what I do on the background on an everyday basis. So before you jump in, first of all, clear your definitions of what you mean by success, what you want from a job. And work if work-life balance is one for you, I wouldn't advise consultancy, not at the very uh, no, beginning stage. It's very demanding. If you're not prepared for it, you will not be prepared for it. So take your time in the industry and then make the jump. It's easier to jump from industry to consultancy. So take that opportunity to get settled down and then move in. But if your goals are very clear that work-life balance in the very initial stages of your career is not important, you have got time, you still don't have a family, so you can invest a lot more extra hours. It's unfair, I get that, but everybody is doing it. So if you don't do it, it kind of creates a hygiene factor. There'll be somebody else to replace you. So be prepared for that competition. It's fierce. Second advice would be JD, they will give you very fancy very fancy JD. Please go out there, talk to people to understand what they do on an everyday basis. You will come back and thank me saying that a lot more people say that this is this is this is not something I want to do. It it looks fancy. No, in a consulting job, you'll always have 50% travel requirement. Please go out and check how many consultants has actually traveled. In two and a half years, I would have traveled, like let's say 50% would have made it like one, one and a half years. It did not. So when does that 50% kick in? What does that 50% mean? How many times are you going to go? And if you go, is it really as pretty as it sounds? For many, it is not. For many, it is. So make sure you, you clear those doubts. At the same time, third, uh, if you're not clear, that's okay right now. Go into, go into a job, see what happens in a year. A lot, a lot of people will tell you that stay in a job for two, two and a half years, but that makes sense if you're already ready to accept that job and the profile for two, two and a half years. For that one year, if you want to stay in an industry or you stay in a consultancy, you see what it looks like to you. You, you analyze uh, very critically that this is, you know, uh, pros and cons, you make a list, take what is what takes priority for you and then decide and then make a switch. For the first year, making a switch is relatively easier. But when you make a switch, you make sure you sit, you, you sit tight to it. Because as I said, the organic growth is much rewarding than the lateral one. And it's more uh, credibility is developed when you get internally provided, uh, you know, internally rather than moving and then getting another promotion. I'm not saying it's bad. But imagine the satisfaction somebody has to say that I got promoted within one and a half year rather than saying that I had to take that jump to get promoted. It builds a kind of credibility. It's very minute. It's right there in your CV. You will not see it now. But tomorrow when you have to say that, you know, you have to stand and say that to another company that you're trying to make a jump that take me because I'm worth it, this will make a difference. So don't just think about the career, what it's doing for you or what you're doing for the client, but at the same time, Think for at least a five-year goal. I thought of a five-year goal. After one year, it went down the drain. So after one year, I jumped and I again created a five-year goal. And that is going to happen. So don't be stringent that whatever I jump into right now is what it's going to happen for me. If you want, And also, uh, a lot more industries will bring a lot, a bigger package for you. I think 10 lakh, 12 lakh, 13 lakh is what the industry will offer. It looks very attractive you will want to take it up right away. Be very cautious about the trap. KPMG, I think it's a little lower on that side, but speak to people who have just joined your alumni. I think a lot of uh, NIBM uh, alumni is a part of KPMG FRM team also. So speak to them, reach out. Everybody is very, uh, you know, uh, very friendly. I think with consulting that just comes that you have to be very approachable. So speak to them. And I think that's it. <laughs> Thank you, Ms. Aditi. Uh, uh, so actually, we now have some questions in the chat box coming from our participants. Sure. So can we take those? Sure, sure. Please go ahead. Yeah. So uh, the first question is from Shivam. The question goes like, uh, like this. Uh, what skills do you highly rate uh, for a consulting job, both technical as well as non-technical? All right. 
for technical i think currently the market requires you to be a, a, a professional or a, a professional coder when i say a professional coder there of course there's a digital team that works on development of solutions but at the same time if you are an frm and you know how to develop solutions that's highly rated that's highly rewarded even in the very beginning because that's uh, there's a scarcity for it right now so uh, if you can right now jump into the market and give them that you will find you will find a spot and very easily and uh, on the functional side of course uh, with with the frm certificate there's a certain credibility that comes in but at the same time if you if you do not have that certificate but you have the knowledge so let's say uh, today market risk specialists are uh, are very uh, rare so you'll find only like one out of 10 consultants who say that claim that i'm market risk specialist so if market risk is something that appeals to you i would say that uh, jump into it right now right now the market is very 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 uh, accepting and very rewarding right for you right now like it's like uh, it said no hit the iron when it's hot so this is it this is a moment if you want to make a career in market risk there are very few specialists there so uh, jump into it and uh, i think for functional read a lot more what's happening in uh, in the market be aware of it and i think that's a very generic advice i can give right now thank you so much uh, so uh, moving on to the next question uh, which tools or techniques uh, you depend upon for model validation uh, which one do you prefer uh, see i cannot prefer or depend on something it, for model validation it completely depends on what kind of uh, model like what kind of platform the bank is using uh, i've never really done model validation but there are few very uh, regularly used platforms but those platforms are such that you will not find it outside so when you come to frm team if if there's a client that has a specific platform they will give you the requirement and you'll have to study and get a certificate on it for model validation if you know python you know r or any kind of coding language that builds that analytical reasoning inside of you i think just learning the language of another uh, you know uh, coding platform should be okay okay thank you very much uh, so on this note on this note uh, uh, i'd like to thank ms aditi bhattacharya for attending this session and imparting valuable knowledge to us all uh, we are glad to know about uh, her journey up till now as an frm consultant we got some really great insights regarding a career in frm consultancy and uh, what does it take to be a successful frm consultant she also shed some light over her work as a frm consultant uh, at kpmg india and the strategies to be used while working with uh, different sectors also uh, we discussed uh, how a frm consultant can implement work life balance uh, efficiently in his or her life uh, miss aditi also cleared some of the misconceptions that surround the frm consulting sector we thank you again for your valuable advice to the students of our institute and we wish you all the very best for your future aspirations thank you so much ashikesh just on the last note uh, i am available on linkedin so you guys ever want to get in touch to understand what really happens in the team before joining or once the campus we uh, come for campus placements you can definitely reach me out on linkedin or i have uh, my email uh, details as well so you can reach out to her for that sure. thank you so much ma'am it was indeed a very wonderful session